Amen, amen. It is good to be in church today, isn't it? Well, half of you agree. It's good to be in church today, isn't it? Would you rather be in the hospital? Jail? I'd rather be in church with my brothers and sisters in Christ, being able to sing. Thank you, worship team, for that awesome, awesome presentation of worship of the Lord as we join with you. And today we're going to enter into the Word of God, Acts chapter 9. We're going to continue firing right away in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 32. Now, I'm going to tell you today my intention is to preach verse 30, uh, 32, 33, 34, and 35. There's only a few verses. I'll try to keep you under the 50-minute limit that I've been given, okay? But uh, I said some, something to somebody the other day um, that I tried to get my sermons down to 30 minutes, and they looked at me and they said, I don't think you've ever preached a sermon 30 minutes. Well, today we are going to try. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So, But Acts chapter 9, verse 32 to 35, we've been going through this series in Acts, and it's been uh, the title of the series is God in Us. What takes place in the book of Acts as we go back to the beginning of the study is the Holy Spirit is given to the church to indwell those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. So at the start of Acts, we see this take place, and it has continued throughout the history of the church that when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells them, and they become indwelt by God himself. God is in them. Now, I think it's interesting that as we continue to read the book of Acts and study it, as we continue to dig into it, we're finding out what the church is supposed to behave like when God is in us. Now, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you today that, that, as we all know, if you've been in church any length of time, sometimes churches don't quite act that way like they have God in them, right? Why is that? Because we're human, okay? We all have flaws. We all have character issues. We all have sin issues. There are so many reasons why the church can have dysfunction within it. But what I'm here to tell you today is if the church would come to a place where they would submit to the Spirit of God in them, an amazing thing could happen with the body of Christ. Now, when we look at this passage of Scripture, I want to focus today on the power of God in us as we live for Him. Now, when we go where the Spirit leads, we're able to accomplish some amazing things. The problem is, in my, in my personal experience, I've been in ministry uh, since when I started pastoring, I guess, 1996. So in my experience of pastoring, the one thing I will tell you that I have learned and I have figured out is many times as believers, we're never, we're never taught or it's never honed in on how to listen to the Holy Spirit moving and working in our heart and life. Because we have these two natures within us. We have the nature of the flesh that wants what we want. And we have the nature of the Spirit when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And He's wanting what He wants. And guess who wins? The one that has the strongest will for us to give the power to. I heard it told one day that, that uh, the flesh and the Spirit in our lives is like two, two, two dogs. And they're going to fight. And those dogs are going to fight to the death. You say, well, which one's going to win? The one you feed the most. The one that has the most energy and resources to win the battle. So as believers, if we are going to come to faith in Christ, and we're going to allow the Spirit of God to work in us and through us, then the way that's going to happen is by us feeding the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to become much in our lives. 
And how does that happen? Well, as we've been studying the book of Acts, we find out that that happens through, first of all, engaging with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then the Holy Spirit comes within us, and when he comes within us, then we have to learn how to listen to him, guiding and directing our hearts and lives as we live for him. Some of that guidance comes through the word of God. By the way, believer, if you're here today and you don't spend time in the word, then you are missing out on being able to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct your life. Because this is how he leads. Listen, when you come to church and you hear Pastor Robert or myself preach from this pulpit or someone else, we are giving you the word of God, helping you grow and feed the spirit of God in your heart and your life. But I'm here to tell you today that what you get on Sundays is not enough for you to live daily in the Word of God, in the Spirit of God. You have to take the discipline and the, the, the initiative in your own life to take time to spend it in the Word of God. Now, as I was studying this, I came across one pastor. I was listening to him preach, and as he was preaching, one of the things that we've been misconception that we have in a believer's life is, well, I don't have 30 minutes a day to pray and 30 minutes or 45 minutes to read the Bible. And I get confused and all, I get all kinds of reasons as I found as I was listening. And as I got to thinking about it, so many people think, well, being able to, to listen to the Spirit of God and let God work in me, it means I have to put an hour a day into praying and reading the Bible. That's not necessarily true, folks. Maybe it's on your way to work or on your way to school or on your way to, to where you're going in the day. You have a podcast you regularly listen to that feeds your soul from the Word of God. Maybe it's time that you get up in the morning and you take uh, 10 minutes and you just, just take 10 minutes in your life and just say, okay, God, this is the day you have given me and I want to make much of it for your sake. Thank you for this day. And what I have going on today, Father, is this. This is what's going on today. And what I want to ask God is for you to strengthen me, for you to guide me, for you to direct me, for you to give me opportunity, if you would see fit, to share Jesus and to love someone the way Jesus would love them. Maybe there's things going on in your life that you have needs. Anybody here have needs in your life? Yeah, I see many lifting two hands. Listen, folks, the reality is what a time in the morning, just when you get out of bed and begin to walk to get your cup of coffee, to just begin to thank God for the day. I know most of us are brain dead that early in the morning. All we're thinking about is coffee. I get it. But guys, even a simple 10-minute prayer in the morning, even, even a moment of reading one or two verses in Scripture and meditating on them for a few minutes, they've part in your life. And in doing so, it allows you to become more sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, guiding, and directing you into what He has for you to do today. As we look in the passage of Scripture here, when we go where the Spirit leads, we see a great example of that right here in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Peter is in Jerusalem, and as we know, he comes out to where, where Saul is at. And remember, he, he meets with Saul, and he interacts with Saul, and then we see here, Saul goes away. He goes to Tarsus. Now, we're not going to see Saul's name mentioned again until Acts 11.25. There's quite a bit of ground that's covered here between Acts chapter 9 and verse 32 and Acts 11.25. If you look on a time scale, a timetable of what takes place here, we won't hear from Paul or Saul for 10 years. He goes to Tarsus and he gets discipled and he grows for 10 years. How many of you in your believer's life, through all the preaching you've heard, thought that Paul got saved and all of a sudden he just set the world on fire and was all over the place? Listen, God had to prepare Saul 
to do what God had for Saul to do. And we see him go to Arabia in the first part of this chapter for a couple of years. And then at the, at the end here, at verse 32 and 31, we see that he goes to uh, Tarsus and he begins to study and learn and grow and be discipled as a believer. And for 10 years, he does that. But I will tell you, what takes place in this 10 years is amazing. We see here that Peter steps on the scene and he goes to Lydda. Now, if you look here in the passage of Scripture, if you look at verse 32, the Bible says, Now, as Peter went here and there among all of them. Now, in, in, in this region around Jerusalem, within probably a 20-mile radius, typically Peter was traveling to the northwest of Jerusalem. He was traveling to all these cities where the Jews had left Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost and went out and started going into the synagogues and declaring Jesus to be the Son of God and the Messiah. And he went into these towns all over the place, witnessing these, these Christians that were telling about Jesus and encouraging them. And he went throughout the whole region doing this. And the Bible says here, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Now, I want to stop there and first of all, look at the word saints. Listen, we come to this passage in the scripture and we see saints being, being brought out, the word saints. You are not made a saint because the church votes on you to be a saint. You are a saint when you become a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of him. So today, I know some of you are looking at your husband or wife and you're saying they are no saint. It's okay. They are a saint. Listen, God didn't save you because of who you were. He saved you because of who he is. And in doing so, when he came into your life and you, you got filled with God, the Holy Spirit, you became a saint. And we ought to live like it. So Peter goes to Lydda, and his goal here in Lydda is to witness, is to encourage, is to edify the saints that are there in this region, specifically in Lydda. The next thing I want to look at is Lydda. Now, Lydda was located about uh, 10 miles from the coast, about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And today, it's a modern town called Lod. And in the modern town of Lod, in that region, is the airport for Israel. If you've ever flown into Israel in that region, you most likely flew into the Lod airport there, and you would be able to see what has happened. However, over the years, many things have happened and taken place in this region. The area was destroyed through the Crusades. It was renamed George at one point in time because of a saint that had been martyred there. A lot of things transpired from the time that we see Peter enter the city here to the time that we have today where we can fly into the airport and enjoy the land of the Jews. As we look here, we see that when we, we go where the Spirit leads, we have the ability to minister where God wants us to be. See, this is, the, this is what, I, what I found out. And let me, let me confess. You guys know I'd like to confess when I preach. So when... In my life, when I don't want to listen to the way the Spirit's leading me, and I go on my own path, I want you to understand that I'm missing out on opportunities that God may have for me to encourage and witness and be a blessing to people that need to know Jesus' love. And it's not just me. Every one of us in this room today, when we don't listen to what God is doing and directing us to do in our hearts and lives, we, we, we thwart the ability for the Holy Spirit to guide us to people 
that God would desire us to talk to. Now, I know some of you may be sitting here, you may be thinking, but Bill, God can even work through my sin of not listening to the Holy Spirit. You're 100% right. God can do whatever he wants, right? But I will tell you, my experience is God can do some amazing things when we just listen to what he wants us to do. And Peter listens to the work of the Spirit in his life, and he goes to Lydda because there's something God has for him to do there. If you look in this passage of Scripture, when we are led by the Spirit, verse 33, we engage with people in need. Verse 33 says, There he found a man named Annas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Now, I want you to understand, this, is, this, this was interesting as I was studying it. Did you know the, that Lydda was a place known as a, a like epicenter for doctors to be able to practice and help people physically? This man had an ailment that he was paralyzed, and he went to Lydda to get help from the doctors, and for eight years, no one could do anything to heal him or help him. So now we see this man in Lydda seeking help, and he can't find it. No one can assist him. No one can make him whole. No one can help him in his paralyzed state. Now, listen, there is no mistakes with God nor happenstance, but divine appointments are a part of God's work. If we're obedient to the spirits leading in our life, you know, there's divine appointments. I want to tell you about a divine appointment in my life. Y'all don't, I don't think, I don't think any of you really have ever heard the story of how Sandy and I met. I don't think so. Let me tell you about a divine appointment. No, she wasn't saved and living on the street. She was third grade and fourth grade. We lived in Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia. And my sister was dating Sandy's brother in high school. And the, church, the, the school we went to was a private school, and they had a school skate. And at that school skate, my, my sister and Sandy's brother Frank, they couple skated and did that. Well, they got the brilliant idea to introduce Sandy and I. And they introduced us, and immediately we had a connection. And third, she was third grade, and I was fourth grade, and we did a little couple skate thing where you scoot around the roller rink holding hands. To Ann Murray's, may I have this dance for the rest of my life. And then my dad says, we're going to move to Florida so I can go to Bible college. So we packed up everything. We sold everything. My dad quit his job with the steel mill. And we went to Jacksonville, Florida for him to go to Bible college. And I wrote Sandy a couple times, and she wrote back, and we corresponded. But then we just, third and fourth grade, we just fell off the map. Well, my life went on and her life went on and I came to Trinity to go to Bible college and my first semester in Bible college, I got a call midway through the second semester, spring semester, a pastor asking me if I was interested in coming and working in his church up in the mountains of Pennsylvania with his children's and youth ministry. Okay, let me pray about it. So I began to pray about it and talked to my dad and some counselors in my life, and I thought it would be a, a good opportunity to go be a mission, go work missions over the summer with this small church that was only a few years old up in the Pocono Mountains. When the process of agreeing to go there, this pastor says, listen, I got this young girl in my church, and she's not dating anybody, and we're going to have a church activity to Hershey Park, and I want you to start on that day, and I want to introduce you to her and just you could hang out with her for the day and, and so forth and so on. Oh, okay. Well, what's her name? He said, Sandy. 
Sandy. What's her last name? Sandy Ray. I knew a Sandy Ray in Philadelphia. By the way, this is two and a half hours away from Philadelphia. Her dad retired from the police department, and they moved, and just life had happened. And Well, I pulled in that church parking lot that morning, got out of my truck, and walked over and got reintroduced to Sandy Ray. And we got, got married a year later. You want to talk about divine appointments? I can tell you about opportunity after opportunity in my life where, where I didn't understand. Listen, what you don't know is I was offered a full-time job with a church here in Jacksonville with housing and everything. At the same time, this fellow asked me to come be a missions pastor for his children and teens that summer. And I was trying to discern what's the best move for Bill. Well, the best move for me, I thought, was the money. And what I realized was the best move for me was faith. And folks, I'm here to tell you that when you, when you look for divine appointments in your life from God, it is not always and rarely is it ever the thing that makes the most sense. It is the thing typically that requires the most faith. So as we look here and we see what Peter does, he goes to this town and we engage with people in need when we follow the Spirit's leading. And, and by the way, Sandy needed a husband and I needed a wife, so we engage with people in need. <laughs> but I can tell you, some of you know, I, go to, I try to go to Sam's Club on Wednesday. And I, I, I'm a Sam's Club hot dog and pretzel fan. And I go in there, I know it's the, probably the most unhealthiest thing in the world you could eat, but I go in there and I look for people sitting alone at their table, and I ask if I can sit with them. And I just strike up conversation with them. And I'm telling you, more often than not, as I pray and ask God to lead me through that, you'd be amazed at the conversations, the God conversations I had with people, that their lives are falling apart, and they just, they just need somebody to talk to. And then to sit there and say, well, let me pray for you. And they look at you. Why would you pray for me? Because God loves you. And because God loves you, I love you. And I want to be a blessing. I want, to, I want to minister to you. Guys, this is what I'm talking about, divine appointments. Just following the Holy Spirit's direction in your life and having that opportunity to minister for him. And we see Peter does that here. We engage with people in need. He went to a place where people had need. How about the next thing we see here in verse 34? And this is where I really want to focus today. We proclaim Christ's power to meet people's needs. Listen, if you think your ability is going to help somebody, then you are missing the mark of following the Holy Spirit in your life. Did you hear me? If you think your bank account or your ability to love somebody or your ability to help somebody is what is the best ability for you to have, then you are missing the mark because it is not about your ability to love. It's about your ability to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, to love them the way God would want them loved, them, for the Holy Spirit to be the one loving them through you. But so many times, I, I'm guilty of it myself. As a minister, I, I try to minister in my own power. I make choices and decisions based on what I think is the right thing to do, not because I've prayed about it and the Holy Spirit's led me, but because I just think it's the right thing to do. Anybody else here like that? Come on now. But what we really need to understand is we have got to tap into the fact that as followers of Christ, with God living in us, we have got to become in tune with the Holy Spirit and following Him in our life and directing us to do what He would want us to do. As you look here in verse 34, this is amazing to me. This just, this just fell open as I've studied. If you look here, he says, Peter says, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. 
Rise and make your bed. And immediately he arose. I want to dissect this verse and focus on it for the next few minutes here today. And the first thing I want to look at is Jesus Christ heals you. Folks, as we go through our life and we minister to people, it's not about our ability to pray for them that helps them. It's about the Holy Spirit's ability to move in their heart as we pray. It's about the Holy Spirit's ability to move in our heart as we pray. See, we can get into a place in our Christian walk that prayers just become mechanical. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. It can become mechanical. Oh God, help this person with this or help this person with that. It can become flippant. But I'm here to tell you today that prayer is something very serious. Prayer is something that's very powerful. And if you think you can live the believer's life following Christ with God in you without tapping into the resource of prayer, you are totally missing the mark of living a life God has called you to. Now, I'm not talking about standing on the street corner and praying for hours. I'm talking about simple prayers in your heart and mind as you interact with people and engage with people to find out their need and their hurt and engage with them in that place. And what we see here is Peter engages with this crippled man. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. Now, I want you to think about this. He says, make your bed or take up your bed. Think about how dirty this bed was. Now, this guy had been paralyzed for eight years. Eight years. Guess what he did for eight years? He laid on that bed. Now, I just want you to get a picture in your mind. What if you laid in your bed for eight years and never got to go anywhere really outside of that? And you were poor. You had no money because you couldn't work. You're paralyzed. You have to rely on everybody else around you to carry you and set you and put you. And, and you are totally dependent on everybody around you, somebody, some kind soul, to be willing to help you get where you need to go. For eight years, he laid paralyzed on this mat. Everything he did, I want you to think about what you do throughout the day. He did all that on a mat. He had no way to get anywhere else. I want you to think about how destitute he was. I want you to think about how physically, how the stench, the smell of this man on the mat must have been. I want you to think about how this man in his brokenness had sought doctors, had, had maybe spent all he had to get to Lida so a doctor might be able to help him. And he finds out that there's no hope. And he's laying there in his own mess on this mat. I think it's interesting that when you look at this story, Peter tells him, get up, take your mat and go. Listen, the mat for eight years defined who this man was. The mat was where he did everything in his life and all he could live, all he could live for because he could not do anything else on his own. And yet Peter looks at him and says, Jesus Christ heals you. Take up your bed. Take up your mat and go. Now, this isn't anything new for Jesus to be able to heal, right? We see in, in, the, in the Gospels, we see him raise people from the dead before. We, we even see uh, other miracles that he's done with healing people and so forth. But this is Peter. So Peter, this powerful man of God, the leader of the disciples, notice in the passage of Scripture, does he say, 
in the name of Peter, take up your mat. How, how effective would that have been? Do you think the man would have gotten where he needed to go? Not at all. But how many of us are guilty of trying to minister to people in our own power? In my name, I'm doing this. In my name, I'm going there. In my name, I'm, my name, I'm helping you with this. And we lose the opportunity to let God be the one that gets the glory. As you look here, he says, take up your mat and go. And we see what happens here. Is he takes up his bed. I want, to, I want you to think about this. Let's compare this to your life. Before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, do you realize that you had lived in your dirty old life mat for all those years before you came to Christ? You could not do anything for yourself. You were dependent on someone to come tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ and its ability to save. And you were laying there destitute. And you may have been placed in your life where you had addictions and you had all kinds of trouble and you were trying to seek professional help and none of it was working. But God came in and did something and changed your heart and your life and the Spirit of God indwelt you and you took up yourself and took that old life and you rolled it up and you walked away and headed for Jesus. When you look at this passage of Scripture, I want you to think about this. He was no longer a prisoner of the mat. He now controlled what controlled him for eight years. See, this is where I believe as Christians, we fall short in our lives. We have sin that has creeped into our lives as we're unsaved. And we get saved. We come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then for whatever reason, we continue to allow sin to define who we are. And we allow it to continue to work its work in our life. And it allow, we allow it to do things that God does not want sin to do in our life. And we don't take control of it the way God has given us control of it from the cross of Calvary and the victory we have over it. And we continue to live in the sin that Jesus saved us from. And what this man does, I want you to see the picture here. He no longer is controlled by the mat. He now controls the mat. He is taking it and he is carrying it away. But I want you to see in that that the mat no longer defined who this man was now. The mat was a testimony to who he used to be. See, this is what happens. We make horrible decisions in our life when we don't know Christ. We live for ourselves, right? When the Holy Spirit's not living in us, we do our own thing, and we go our own places, and we make our, our choices to satisfy the flesh. But when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, all those things no longer define us. Now we're defined as being a child of God and no longer living in the sin. We've been saved from it, and now we can live in that salvation. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It no longer defines you. Jesus is the one who defines you. And what we see here is the healing that took place in this man's life, Ananias' life, is a healing that takes place that redefines who he is. He's no longer the beggar laying and paralyzed man laying on a mat and smelling. He's now a healed man walking around testifying about who Jesus is. First of all, a follower of Christ recognizes in the miracles of being made whole. If you see in this passage, verse 34, and Peter said, and I, Jesus Christ heals you, rise, make your bread, and immediately he arose. A follower of Jesus rejoices and recognizes the healing that takes place. The second thing I see here is a Pharisee or a religious person will criticize the work that Jesus has done. This is the condition of the church today. 
By the way, don't think it doesn't happen at Oakleaf, because it does. Somebody walks in the door, they're a guest at our services, or somebody moves into our community and they have a different, a different lifestyle than what we agree with, right? Maybe they're a different political party than we are. Maybe they're a different skin color than we might be. And as a Pharisee, we begin to judge and we begin to question whether God is able to work in that life. Listen, that's what a Pharisee and a religious person always does. They're going to constantly question. I want you to think about, think back on the Gospels, Jesus Christ and the life that he lived. I want you to think back on the fact that everything he did to glorify the Father was criticized by who? The Pharisees. He was doing the work of God, yet the the Pharisees and the religious people were the ones condemning him and criticizing him for doing what he was doing. And folks, I'm guilty of it in my own life, for being critical and criticizing people and the work that they believe they're doing for the cause of Christ. And I can't help but think that if standing behind this pulpit today, I can admit to you that I struggle with that. There might be people sitting here today or watching online that struggle with the same thing. We become judgmental in our hearts and wonder if God can really work that way or if that person really got saved or, or, or maybe our mind goes to, well, obviously they didn't pray about that because look how that ended up. Hey, guys, do you realize where the disciples ended up? They were men of God who followed Christ, saw the miracles, prayed, lived their lives to tell people about Jesus. And, and John was the only one that died at old age on the Isle of Patmos. Every other disciple ended up being martyred horrifically. Listen, not everything you do for God works out good for you. Did you get that? So let's be careful about being critical of people who go through bad times when they genuinely are trying to pursue God. Let's be careful about being Pharisees and religious people and judging them because it's not turning into gold for them. It's hard and it's difficult and it's strenuous and it's breaking them. Because there's a work of God taking place in that breaking. And instead of criticism, maybe we need to offer prayer and hugs and encouragement and and some help. But so many times we, we make excuses. We're too busy or we don't have the resources or you fill in the blank. And what we do is we become Pharisees and we criticize. I'm guilty of it myself, but I'm so ashamed and How about the next thing we see as we look at this man in Acts 34 or 934? I don't know about you, but there have been times where I've seen people come to faith in Christ and make a public profession of their faith and even get baptized. And then they go back and they begin to live after a short period of time the same way they lived before they came to Christ. Now I want you to understand that. Jesus Christ has defined them as a saint, as a child of God. And they've chosen to go back to what they used to be. But we need to understand as believers that the mat no longer defines them. And as Pharisees and religious people, we need to be careful 
about condemning and being unkind and being mean and being judgmental and taking that road to people who have fallen away because of hardship or difficulty in their life. We need to, we need to represent the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the people of God in loving them and helping them and drawing them and, and working in them to come back in the name of God to being the believer God has renamed them and redefined them to be. The Christian life is hard. If anybody has told you differently or if you're experiencing differently, I don't know what Christian life you're living. The Christian life is hard. And a young believer who gets thrust into the world of living with the Spirit of God in them and the conflict with the flesh that's taking place and the family members and the friends that they're having to, to reevaluate in their life and all that's going on in their world because they put their faith in Jesus Christ and they, they end up falling short of what we think they ought to be doing and we become judgmental and unkind. How about we become the friend they need so that they don't run to the friends that they have? Do you get what I'm saying here? We have a responsibility to help people as they walk the Christian journey. And as we see this man, he gets up, he takes up his bed, the mat that had defined him for so long, and now he's no longer defined of it. He is now defined by Jesus Christ and the healing that's taken place. And in doing so, he follow, a follower of Christ, Peter and the other believers, rejoice with him in what's going on in his life. But yet the Pharisees and, and those religious people, they are the ones who criticize what has taken place. Don't go back to laying on the mat. You know, you may be here today and you may be struggling in your Christian walk. You may be sitting here today or watching online and, and, and you realize that living for God is difficult. And maybe you're struggling with trying to figure out from a faith perspective how to live for God. How do, how do I do that? And you're trying to connect the pieces. You're trying to put this puzzle together of what you're supposed to do. I want to encourage you, don't give up. The believer's life and proclaiming Jesus Christ and living for the cause of Christ is worth it. There's an eternal value investment to living for the cause of Christ. It is not temporary. It is eternal. And you may be struggling. Maybe you're new to your faith or maybe you're just young in your faith and you have not been able to grow the way you, you, you maybe need to grow. I want to encourage you today. Get involved in a life group. Get involved in Bible studies. Start listening to some podcasts of people who teach the Word of God clearly and define chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and begin to allow the, the Word of God to speak to your heart and life and get strengthened in the Word because there's two, there's two natures in you, a spirit nature of, the, of God and the flesh if you come to faith in Jesus Christ. And those two natures are going to war and you have to feed the one you want to win. Amen. Now, the other thing we see here is Peter could not have healed him in his own power. It was only Jesus that could make this man new. See, the work of salvation that took place in your heart and your life, if you're here today and you've trusted Christ, that wasn't a work of the church. That wasn't a work of a preacher. That wasn't a work of an evangelist. That was the work of God. And in the work of God, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit indwelt you and God became God in you, that was something that was a miracle of God that no one else could reproduce or make happen. It's only something God can do. 
And just like this man here laying here that needed healed, there's only one person that could heal him, and that was Jesus. And Peter knew that. And notice who Peter gives all the credit to. If you look at this passage, it says, And Peter said to him, Annas, Jesus Christ heals you. It's a work of God. It's a work of faith. Now, I want to I encourage you with, with this before we move to the next verse and we'll close. Folks, I'm, I'm here to tell you, God doesn't want you to clean up your life to come to him. If you're here today and you're thinking, well, I want to come to God, but before I come to God, I want to get these things taken care of in my life, and then I'm going to follow God. That's not how this works. You come to God now and then let God walk alongside of you to clean up these things that you need cleaned up in your life. You come to God now and you give those things to him and say, I don't want to do these things anymore. I want them straightened out in my life, and I need you to come into my heart my life and empower me to overcome these things that are trapping me and these things that are giving me issues. I give them to you and want to follow you. That's the heart at which you come to God to see a work of God take place in your life. See, the world doesn't need a better version of you. The world needs a saved you. But we as believers, so many times, we fool people into thinking about having a good relationship with church when we should be pointing them to having a good relationship with Christ. So they behave, they dress, they carry the Bible. They do these things that they think are making them look like a follower of Christ, but their heart is empty. It's a dead sepulcher. They're still laying on the mat of their life with filth and, and degradation, and they haven't come to the place where they've accepted Christ. And they think that they can get good enough that they'll be worthy of Christ. If I get all these things taken care of, then God will want me. God wants you just the way you are. You don't have to get cleaned up for him. He loves you just where you're at. And folks, I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ can heal your life. You have a spiritual brokenness in you, and you're separated from God. And in that separation from God, if you don't come to Christ, you're going to spend an eternity in a lake of fire called hell. And I'm here to tell you, I'm not trying to be unkind. If you're watching, I don't mean to be offensive. But I'm here to tell you that there is nothing you can do in and of yourself to deserve heaven. There's no amount of money you can give. There's no amount of old ladies you can help across the street. There's no amount of volunteer hours you can put in. There's, there's no amount of church services you can attend that will make it okay for you to go to heaven. The only way to have eternal life with, with Jesus Christ and get reconciled to God the Father is through believing that when Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, he took your sin just the way you are today, the way you were last week, last month, last year, the way you're going to be in the future. He took all of those sins that we would ever commit, the whole world, and he took them on himself on the cross. If you believe that Jesus took your sin on him at the cross of Calvary, and you, you come to him and say, I believe you died for me. You took my sin on you. I want you to come into my life and forgive me. And I want to give my life to you. Today, you can do that right here where you sit. Today, you can do that right here in this place. By yourself, where you're sitting, at home, wherever you're sitting at home, or in the car, or wherever you might be watching this, you can come to faith in Jesus Christ and believe that he died for you on the cross of Calvary, that he paid for your sin. 
And in doing so, you have the ability to be reconciled to our Heavenly Father. And when the time comes that you come to faith in Jesus Christ, You know, this is the most important thing I could say today, and there wouldn't be any, anything past the evilness in this world to thwart what I'm telling you about Jesus Christ. The most important thing I have to say today is this. Jesus loves you, and he died for you. He doesn't want you to get better to come to him. He wants you to come to him to get better. Folks, I'm here to tell you today that Jesus loves you. He went to a cross, and he died for your sin. He took on the sins of the world. He suffered. They put him in a tomb, and three days later, he rose again. And when he rose again, he, he claimed victory over sin, over hell, and over death. So what does it look like to come to faith in Jesus Christ? What it means is, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ and believe what he did on the cross counted for you, and you give your life to him, it means that you're going to overcome sin. The Bible says that we have victory through Jesus Christ in Corinthians, through his cross, through what he did, we have victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing is we have victory over the grave. Yeah, you're going to die. They may have a casket right here in this place someday for you. I hope not. I'd rather go by the upper taker than the undertaker. That gets me to the third point. He overcame not just, not just sin and not just hell, but he overcame uh, the grave, but he overcame hell. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you, you never will spend a day of your eternity in a burning lake of fire. But that only happens through the power of Jesus Christ and the healing he can bring you. When you look at this passage, we have to close. It's, it's time. Verse 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. I'm here to tell you today, when God, when God works in our hearts and lives and we obey him, and we follow the leading of the Spirit, and we're able to minister to people, and they come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of listening to the Holy Spirit, to be used of Him, to have an opportunity to be part of declaring the message of Jesus Christ and people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you've picked up on this, okay? You may be a little slow on the uptake. But in church, this is what happens. Here at Oakleaf, we're all about leading people to God, right? Say it with me. Leading people to God. We do it through three things. We do it through learning God's Word. By the way, this isn't just about learning God's Word so we can get fat, dumb, and happy on the Scripture. This is about learning God's Word so that we can take it out of this place and use it in our lives and the people around us' lives to encourage them in the Word of God, right? Amen? Amen. The second thing we're about is loving God and others. What does this look like? Loving God is easy. He's God. Look what he's done for us. Man, I can love God. He died on a cross for me. But can you love the person that's the opposite of you? Can you love the person who defies who you are? Think about that. Because that's the person God has called us to love. 
Can you love that person that denies Jesus as the Son of God? And look for opportunities to minister to them and bring them to Christ. And the third thing, we're about living out our faith. That's following the Spirit's direction. That's what we're talking about here today. Looking for those divine moments and following His direction. To be able to, to, be able to through the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, have influence on people's lives so that they might come to faith in Jesus Christ. And look at what happens in verse 35 of this passage. A bunch of people came to faith in Jesus Christ. So this is what happens. Let me explain it to you. Somebody comes into your life and they, they are not saved. They don't know Jesus Christ. They don't know him from the man on the moon. And they become friends with you at work, at play, at home, your neighborhood, your, your, whatever you might be doing, you come into contact with this person. And you begin to cultivate a relationship with this person. In the process of cultivating a relationship with this person, they reveal to you that they have needs in their life that they don't know how to handle and it's overwhelming. And you begin to tell them, listen, I know life can be overwhelming. I've been there. And you begin to share with them about what the Bible says about this, the area in which they're overwhelmed in. This is part of learning God's Word. And that person, through time, they may come to faith in Christ, they may not. That's irrelevant to you. What's relevant to you is that you are faithful to deliver the Word of God at the time of need in that divine appointment that the Holy Spirit directed you to. And in the process of doing that, we're expressing love to people who are different than we are. And then we live out our faith. We show them that we're not just telling them things from the Bible, we're living it in our own life. It's hard, it's difficult, but God is worth it. And then what happens? Sometimes the Holy Spirit will stir their hearts and draw them to faith in Jesus Christ. And then guess what happens then? You get to take them to church. They come to church, they begin to grow, and they want to get baptized. You know what happens when people get baptized? They invite family. And guess what their family needs? Guess what their friends need? This is, the, this is the cultivation of church growth and the process of how a church is able to influence people with Jesus Christ. We understand the process is seeing people come to faith, discipling them in the baptism, and then helping the people that are connected to them learn about the change that's taking place in this new person's life and helping them come to faith. Listen, the church is not about subtraction. The church is not about division. Amen? The church is not about addition. I know that may shock you. The church is about multiplication. It's about the 80 people in this room right now going out and reaching 80 people more. And it's about those 160 people going out and reaching 160 more and those 320 people going out and reaching 640 more. And those 640 more going out and reach 1,280 more. And I can't do the math beyond that because I'm just not thinking straight. That's the call that we've been given as a church. But the only way it happens, guys, the only way it happens is if we individually are willing to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. That's what it takes. Let's stand this morning as we have a hymn of invitation. Maybe you're here today and you need Jesus Christ. Right where you're sitting, you can do business with God. Just say, God, what Bill was saying matters, and I, I believe you died on the cross for me. Maybe you're at home. What Jesus did on the cross matters for me, and I want, 
I want to give my life to him. I want to be reconciled to you, Father. I want to be a follower of Christ. Maybe you're here today and that's you. I'll be right down here in the front. If you want to come talk with me, I'll pray with you. And I'll connect you if you're a man with a man. If you're a woman, I'll put you with a woman. And they can take the word of God and they can show you how you can know Jesus Christ. And they can pray with you and talk to you, answer your questions. Maybe you're here today and you say, Bill, I have not been living in obedience to the Holy Spirit. I've been kind of doing my own thing, going my own way. Listen, if that's you and you're here today, the altar's open. I want to encourage you to use it. Maybe right now you just need to sit down where you're at and pray and ask God to help you to be more in tune with the Holy Spirit and obedient to his leading in your life, that you might be part of these divine appointments that bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you and you're here today. Let's sing our hymn of invitation this morning. You can be seated. I want to thank you for being here today. Jeff has some announcements for us. Uh, thank you for being here today. Wasn't a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Y'all pray for uh, Pastor Bill as he is uh, struggling a little bit, probably with a head cold or something. Uh, so just pray for him and uh, that God will just uh, work in him and, and give him the, the physical energy he needs uh, for the second service. I want to uh, mention one thing about Christmas Eve. Uh, it's December 23rd is a Friday, so we're going to do uh, two services at 6 o'clock and 7.30. So mark your calendars for December 23rd for our candlelight service on December 23rd, 6 o'clock and 7.30. All right? And visitors, let's go ahead and stand. We're going to pray in, in just a moment. Y'all go ahead and stand. If this is your very first time here, I see just a, a couple unfamiliar faces. We are delighted that you are here as our guest. Uh, you can do one of two things. You can fill a card out in the uh, chair before you, or you can go online to our church website, check all the events there, and then you can fill out the guest registration there as well. God bless you for being here this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, your word, and thank you for the music that we were able to be a part of this morning. Uh, go with us as we... Uh, part these ways. God, be with us as, as we minister to our Awana kids tonight. Uh, give us the wisdom. Give us the words to say. God, thank you for uh, who you are in us and for all the many blessings that, that are up before us here at Oakleaf Baptist Church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 